0: Hey everyone, it's Paul Durham and welcome to Telling Lies to Children. All that noise you hear in the background is actually about 130 hungry children's librarians. I am up here in Laconia uh, along Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire, and I am today's speaker at the New Hampshire Children's Librarian Fall Conference. So I thought I'd do a fun uh, podcast recording live uh, here, so that's what you hear in the background. And I think before we get started, I may uh, try to chat with a few of the librarians, and then I'm going to go ahead and actually just record my uh, luncheon uh, speech, uh, so that'll, that'll make up today's podcast. And just a reminder that, as always, you can listen to Telling Lies to Children on my website, pauldurhambooks.com. That's also where you can find my books, information on school visits, on my new Tribe of the Mind creative writing workshops, and anything else Paul Durham writing-oriented you might ever possibly want to know, that's where you can find it. And, of course, also on iTunes and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. Are the kids gone? Good. It's time for Telling Lies to Children with me, your host, Paul Durham. This is a first-of-its-kind podcast, one hosted by a children's author, that's me again, but intended for adults who live and breathe children's literature. That's you. Whether you're a librarian, a media specialist, a teacher, or a parent, we all work with children every day. But sometimes, it's nice to talk like adults with adults who share our love of children's books and publishing. I'll be chatting with editors at the world's biggest publishing houses, literary agents, award-winning authors, booksellers, librarians, and even young readers. Join me and my guests as we give you a candid, behind-the-scenes look at children's publishing, the business of telling lies to children. But only the best kinds of lies, of course. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. like and and am not particularly good at giving speeches. I I probably should have told you guys that before you invited (laughs) me to come here. Um, What I do like to do, and what I am better at, is uh, telling stories and having conversations with people. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. And the way I wanted to to start out is I thought it would be fun to start with the story I tell. every group of kids I get to speak in front of. Uh, this is how I start off every one of my school presentations, library visits. Um, some of you, there are some familiar faces out there. If you've had me in your libraries before, you may have heard this, but I'm going to adapt it for the crowd here. So, I like to think back to when I was a I was a kid. That's who I write for. And you're know, looking around the room, um, if you guys could all Use your imaginations, and I'm sure you have very vivid imaginations. Uh, this is this is one of my favorite kind of crowds to speak with. Think back to when you were a child, a young reader, whether that was elementary school or middle school or preschool, whenever that may have been. And I was one of those kids who always knew exactly what I wanted to do. I don't know what I don't know what you guys were like. You know, maybe. And part of this is because I'm nosy and I like interaction, but I always like to do a show of hands. So again, let's pretend we're in elementary school for a minute. Um, young, the, the, the young librarians out there, long before you were librarians, did anybody think that they might want to be, for example, a teacher? Were there any aspiring teachers? A lot. Yeah, a lot. How about any aspiring doctors or any doctors out there? A few of those? Yeah, a few. How about any lawyers? Anyone, anyone want to be a lawyer? Some of those, I was one of those. Come talk to me about that some other time. I think again, you guys. Might, I think you guys might have made the right decision in going in a, going in a different direction. Um, how about any sort of astronauts or adventurers or, or things like that? A few of those. Awesome. Um, I was one of those kids. Oh, well, let me ask you this: Did anybody ever want to be a writer or be creative? A lot of hands. Yeah. So I was one of those kids who always knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um and I never wanted to hit a home run in the World Series. That wasn't my dream. Uh which is good because I'm a terrible athlete and I can't hit a curveball to save my life. So that worked out well. And I never wanted to uh be like a pilot or an astronaut uh which is good because I'm terribly afraid of flying. I do it because I have to, but I don't particularly like to fly. And I never wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or anything like that, uh, which is really good because the sight of blood makes me hit the deck. <laughs> and I wish I was joking, but I have a, a daughter at home that can attest that there's been more than one nosebleed that has put me on the bathroom floor. <laughs> Not my own nosebleed. Um, and I'll just digress for a second why, why, after saying that because, as I said, I give this, I give this talk when I'm in schools. And so I always start with this, and there was one time in a big auditorium full of kids, and halfway through the presentation, there was a kid in the back who got a nosebleed. And he was horrified. He and he had to he sort of covered his face and he had to slink out because he was he was afraid he was gonna he was gonna put the author down for the count and ruin the presentation. <laughs> so now I have to add into my presentations, okay, really, it's all right, if you get a nosebleed, don't freak out. Just I I really won't fall down. As, as long as you're not like right next to me. <laughs> so Well, in any event, I never wanted to be any of those things. I never wanted to walk on the moon. I never wanted to hit a home run in the World Series. But what I did want to do, for me, the dream was always to write to be a published author. I would walk into bookstores, because, you know, we actually had bookstores back then, physical places you'd go and actually see books on the shelves. I'd walk into libraries like yours, and I would see all these wonderful books and stories on the shelves. And to me, that was my dream. I was a storyteller even when I was young. And I just always wanted, this is what I always wanted to do. That was, that was walking on the moon. That was hitting home run in the World Series for me. And, of course, as I got older, um, I grew up in the you know, the 70s and the 80s. And when you said things back then, like when someone asked you, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you said you wanted to be a writer or an actor or a painter or something creative. People would say, oh, that's nice. What else do you want to do? <laughs> and I would say, well, maybe I could go to law school or be a lawyer. They, oh, that's great. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's terrific. That, that's, a, that's, that's a great job. You make a lot of money doing that. So, which is true in some cases. But the idea was, while people didn't necessarily discourage you from being creative or being a writer or an author or following a dream or a passion like that, sometimes, subtly, they encourage you to do something else. So I went off and I did some other things. I went to college and I went to law school and I became a lawyer. I studied accounting, of all things. And and, uh, I went off and for many years, I was a lawyer. But something was missing. I wasn't doing what I loved. And after a good amount of time of, of practicing law, I said, gee, you know, I've wanted to do this ever since I was a little kid. I should really get around to writing a book and finishing one. So I did. And it was adult crime fiction. So it was nothing like what I write now. It was full of, you know, and I always say this to kids, it was full of violence and bad words. Nothing you guys would have any interest in whatsoever, of course. And all the kids are, oh, I'm... think again. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, and, and you guys know how the industry works. So I actually, I was able to get an agent for this book, which is a big hurdle. And we shopped this book all over Manhattan. And everybody had wonderful things to say about it. All the big publishers said, wow, we really love your voice. It's so unique. We think you're terrific. We think this is a great story. You're an amazing talent. But there's always a but at the end of nice stories like that, right? But, and they all said the same thing. But no thank you. Now, as you can imagine, as someone who's always wanted to do this ever since they were a tiny little kid and got through that hurdle of getting an agent and got managed to get read and rejected by every major publisher in Manhattan. I was that close to walking on the moon. I was that close to hitting that home run in the World Series and I failed. And for me, it was pretty devastating. It wasn't just, oh, I'll go try again. I'll write another one. It was, wow, I failed. I actually failed at something in my life that was more important to me than anything else I've ever wanted to do. And I was so disappointed and down that I quit writing altogether. Now, if that was the end of the story, of course, you would look around at whoever invited me here and say, where'd you get this guy from? What an awful story. (laughs) Obviously, you know, the story didn't end there. But this is where it gets important. And this is where it's particularly important not only for kids. I really think that this story is worth remembering for adults, no matter how old you are. Because I wasn't writing. I was being a lawyer. I was a parent, I had two young daughters, I was trying to be a good husband, trying to do all that, you know, all that other stuff, all that responsible stuff. And I think I was doing a good job at it, but once again, something was missing. I wasn't doing what I loved. And then about five or six years ago, the holidays were coming up, and I went to my oldest daughter at the time, who was maybe eight years old or so. And I said to her, hey, what would you like for Christmas this year? And she looked at me, and she said, Dad, you know what? Can you write me a story? One that we can read together. And I took a step back and I kind of scratched my head and I said, uh, gee, I've never thought about writing for kids before. Never even occurred to me. Um, But sure, I mean, I'll I'll give it a shot. I can write a short story. And, uh, you know, your daughter comes to you and asks you to write write her story. That's what you're going to do. So that's what I did. And I started thinking about the the books she liked to read. Um, You know, she liked fantasy. I loved fantasy as a kid. There's great realistic fiction out there, but I've always been partial to books that can take me somewhere I can't go on my own. And I like the idea of writing about truth and lies and the gray areas in between. And I wanted to tell her a story about heroes and villains and how people aren't always one or the other, and that sometimes people's hats aren't necessarily black or white, sometimes they're gray. Um, and I wanted to tell a story about family. Because in children's fiction, particularly children's fantasy, there's not always a whole lot of family. There's a a lot of, you know, sometimes there's orphans, sometimes there's there's broken homes, but there's not a lot of family stories. So that's why I started writing. I started writing this short story. And what happened was I ran out of time uh, because Christmas rolled around. So I sat down with my little audience, my wife and my two daughters. That was it, you know, by the fireplace, Christmas Eve. And I read this short story that I had for them. And when I was done with it, they looked at me, and they were like, Dad, that's really great. You're a really talented writer. We think you're awesome. But. Uh Uh-oh. But what they said was, but what happens next? And I said, oh. Yeah, I haven't really thought that far ahead. I mean, I ran out of time. This was supposed to be a short story. Uh, I don't know. And they looked at me very seriously, and they said, um, you better figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't start a story like that and then leave us hanging. (laughs) So that's what I did. Every week, I I went and I wrote a new chapter. And I didn't worry about making this story perfect. I didn't worry about getting this thing published. I didn't worry about showing it to an agent. I didn't care about any of that. It was all about just entertaining my most important audience, which was my wife and my two young daughters. That was my audience, and they were very demanding, and they expected a chapter every Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did, I kept them happy. And after about three months, which is as fast as I've ever written a book before, and as fast as I will ever write a book again, I finished this novel. And it was called The Luck Uglies. And I I completed it. I closed it. I said, the end. And they said, Dad, that's amazing. Are you going to try to get this thing published? You know what I said? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Do you remember what happened last time? Do you remember how depressed I was? Do you remember how, how down and upset and how it almost ruined me? No way am I putting myself through that again. Needless to say, I listened to them, and I didn't listen to myself. And I won't bore you with all the other hurdles and everything else that happened for the year and a half after that. But ultimately, as many of you guys may know, The Luck Uglies was was bought by a little publisher called HarperCollins. Um, and they bought the first book, along with two others I hadn't even written yet in the series. And they bought them to be published all over the world. And now that little book that I wrote for my kids um, It can be found in England and Australia. It's been translated into Turkish. It's being translated into French. Um, It's everywhere. And thank you. But why do I tell you that story? Is it because I can't resist getting up in front of a group of librarians and give myself a pat on the back? Yeah. Oh, you know me so well. No, it's really not. Um, I tell that story because what I discovered was that you have to write for the right reasons, um, for the correct reasons, and that whatever it is you may want to do, whether you're in fifth grade or sixth grade, or you're 40 years old like I was. My first book wasn't published until I was, I think, 41 years old. Um, It's never too late to do it. So if there are writers out there, if there are artists out there, if there are aspiring anythings out there, it's never too late to do it. And that doesn't. And all, the one thing that I, I tell kids and I tell adults, and this is the one message I pass along um, when, I, when I get to speak to children, because I think it's so important, is that everybody in this room has probably heard from one person or another that you can do whatever you want to do as long as you work hard at it, right? Everybody's probably heard that. And that's true, but there's another part of the story that people don't tell you, and it goes like this you can do everything you want to do as long as you work hard at it and as long as you're not afraid to fail because sometimes you might have to fail once or twice or 50 or 60 or times like i did before you actually accomplish that goal and that dream and right now i'm now at 43 i'm doing exactly what i've always wanted to do and if i can do it anybody out there anyone who's hearing my voice can do it too and i think when I talk to any group, whether it's adults, whether it's children, that's the one message I hope people take away. Um, whether they, If they don't remember my name, it's Paul Durham, but if they don't remember it, that's all right. If they don't remember the name of my books, they're called the Luck Uglies, uh, that's okay too. Yeah. Um, but I hope they remember that message. Um, now, as I told you, I don't like to give speeches, so I like to tell stories, and I have a, a couple more for you. Um, now I just talked about how I'm I'm doing what I what I've always loved what I've always wanted to do. I really do believe I have the greatest job in the world. Looking out at the room full of librarians, um, I bet some of you would argue with me and say that you have the best job in the world, which is fine. I'll will take that debate and we can agree to disagree. I think I think they're both great jobs. Um, but like any other wonderful job, um, there are challenges and. What you see on the screen, still here, yeah. What you see on the screen behind you, are just some images of me when I've been out at schools, when I've been at conferences, when I've been on the road. So here's the other thing: why do I like to have pictures of me in front of large groups of people? Let's go back to my question for: is it because I like to pat myself on the back, say, "Hey, look at what I'm doing"? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's yeah, don't say, yeah. The answer, the answer is no. That's not why. I do it because that. These are the moments that get me through those hard times. So this is a story. These are stories about what children and kids in speaking to my readers mean to me and why they when I come into a class, a school or a library, people think that I'm doing them this great service. And here's a secret. I'm really not. You guys are doing me a great service because this is what reminds me of why I write. Okay? So the first story I want to tell you is of the reluctant reader. And you guys probably all have reluctant readers that you've worked with before. Um, I'll just call it, for purposes of the story, I'll call her Abby. Um, I was at a school, this was was going back a couple years ago after my first book was out. Um, The librarian came to me and said, you're not going to believe it, I have this reader that is just so excited, been so motivated by your books, and a lot of authors have this story, it's not unique to me. But... She's you know she never wanted to read, never was was interested. She was having real challenges with reading, and your book has just sort of made her come alive. And now we can't keep her out of the library. And I got to meet Abby. I made a point to meet Abby after my school presentation was done, and she you know she came up and we took pictures and I you know, signed her books and all you know all the usual great stuff. It was just so nice and really great to hear from her. But what was interesting was so then I went and this was in New Hampshire. So then I went on my way. And I've published you know, my other two books since then, and um, this past spring, my third book in the series came out. And about a day after it was published, I was doing an event at a, at a Barnes and Noble, and lo and behold, who shows up? But Abby, and she's in the she's in the audience. And I was taking some questions and things like that, and, and one of the questions was, "Well, you know, I'm always careful not to spoil anything because the book had just come out. I assumed that." Not anyone had read it, or, or certainly not finished it. But Abby had finished it, and she had to run off to a soccer practice or something like that. And um, so, but she had a quick question before she left, and she stood up, sort of with all these other kids around. And um, if you, if you've read all three of my books, um, you'll know what this question is. If you haven't, hopefully, it won't be that much of a spoiler. But she we had a big smile but she literally had tears in her eyes and she asked me why true it so a lot of you may not may not know what that means um, and a lot of you may th- I, on the one hand you know i sort of reassured her and said you know don't cry don't be so emotional about it it's but at the same time i was so proud to have provoked a reaction in this reluctant reader who actually took the time to read the whole series so quickly and was so moved by something that happened in one of my books that she came out and said something about it. I mean, she loved the book, but her question was, you know, why, why did this particular thing happen? Um, and that, really, that just really stuck with me for a long time. The other story of, uh, that I want to tell you is, we'll call it Finn. Um, Finn was a fifth grader, and I met him again at a school here in New Hampshire. And we had a great visit. He was a terrific kid, super excited, I leave the school visit. He's one of those kids that emails me questions, uh, what about this, what about that. He was my very first follower on Instagram. (laughs) And the next year, my second book comes out, and I'm going to go back to his school for a repeat visit. So I emailed Finn, said, hey Finn, guess what, I'm going to get to see you again, come back to your school. And his reply was, oh no. We moved to California. I'm not there anymore. I was, oh, I'm sorry yeah, I was so sorry to hear it, Finn, that's the way. And so I was bummed out, and I'm sure Finn was bummed out. So what happens is the second book comes out, I'm doing my local visits, but then I get to do this book tour through my publisher. And if you guys ever wonder what a book tour is like, um, it, parts of it are really glamorous, you have the black town car that shows up in your driveway and whisks you off to the airport, and your kids get all excited about it. And then you have the person with your little name on it waiting for you at the airport to take you to your usually pretty nice hotel. And then the next day, you're up at the crack of dawn, and your what they call your media escort comes and picks you up and shuttles you off to probably three, three different schools over the course of the day so that you're kind of cross-eyed and you don't even know where you are by the end of the day. And then they take you to the airport, and then you fly somewhere else, and the next day you repeat it and do it all over again. And you do that for like three or four days in a row. So I'm on my book tour. I end up, I'm i in Houston, Austin, Portland, Oregon, and then I find myself in San Francisco. Four cities, four days. Um, and I'm exhausted. And I'm on the very last. I'm in a, in a beautiful place called Petaluma, uh, which is north of uh, San Francisco. It's sort of getting into Napa wine country. if You guys have never been. Very nice. And I do the huge crowd, my last one in the afternoon, the big with all the kids there. And it's really, it's really, um, it's really terrific. And, uh, and then we go to do sort of just a little signing at the bookstore. Now, here's how these things work. I mean, I'm about as far from my hometown as you can get. I'm going to go sign some books, and it's open to the public if the public shows up. I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a few people milling around, but I'm not a big enough author. Again, this is with my second novel has come out. That there's going to be a whole big line. There's not going to be this huge group waiting for me there. So I go to this beautiful little independent bookstore, and I'm sitting there, and there are a couple people milling around, I start signing the books, and I'm like, all right, well, this is, you know, it is what it is, and, and um, I'll be heading back on my flight tomorrow. Who walks in the door? Finn. Finn, his mother, let him take the day off of school, and they drove four and a half hours <laughs> to come and see me at this bookstore. Four and a half hours. Do you know what I remembered from that book tour? Do you think I remember the crowds? I mean, it it was great. Uh, The crowds of students or the black town car showing up or the fancy hotel on the room service. you think I remember any of that? I remember Finn. Um, That was one of the greatest in that empty bookstore. Just me and Finn. One of the best bookstore events I've ever had. And I've had ones where, you know, I've obviously had ones where there are bigger crowds than that. Um... But that was, that was one of the most amazing uh, moments I've had as an author and as somebody who gets to tour and do this. Um, that's what kids mean to me. It's a gift and it's a privilege every time I get to talk to them, every time I get to meet them, because on days when I'm worrying about if I'm going to get another contract or if the sales of my books aren't as high as they should be or if I'm wrestling with my, you know, with my editors over, over some, you know, uh, some lines they want to change or whatever it may be, um that's what keeps me grounded that's what keeps away the green-eyed monster of jealousy because again as authors we're always it's very hard not to look left or right as to what your peers are doing and it's also it's really important to just be able to focus straight ahead that's what that's what students and school visits mean to me part 3 a confession to make for you guys and that's this I don't write for kids. I don't write for children. I write for everybody. I write for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and caretakers and whoever reads them. I write for people who enjoy good stories. I write for the gatekeepers. That's how we refer to you guys as the gatekeepers. (laughs) Uh, But we mean it very fondly, at least I do. and, I, and I, I think that that is, as the, the children's authors I know, who, whose work I really respect, um, and who I emulate, and who I consider friends, um, that's what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to write for everybody. Because as a parent, I, I've I read a lot to my two daughters. And there are times where, frankly, I wanted to pull my hair out and say, do we really have to read this again? Another chapter of this book? And so when I write, I want to write books that, that don't have that effect on me or and don't have that effect on on other people who are who are doing the reading who may be adults. And I just wanted to read a, a, a few I, I'm not alone in this thinking and I just wanted to read a few quotes for you. See if these sound familiar if you've heard them before. A children's story that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest. I'll read another one. No book is really worth, no book is really worth reading at the age of 10 which is not equally, and often far more, worth reading at the age of 50 and beyond. And last one, someday you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. <laughs> now, I look at you guys and I, I think I have a sense that, that many of you in this room probably never stopped reading fairy tales, which I think is, which I think is great. So if there's one thing that I... By the way, those are all... Anyone know who those quotes? They're all by the same author. C.S. Lewis. Uh, and uh, one of my one of my author friends uh, named Jonathan Oxier, who's a, who's a terrific guy, a terrific writer, actually kind of turned me on to some of those quotes. Um, and if you, if you haven't heard of Jonathan um, Oxier, I think you will soon. Um, he's, he's pretty spectacular, and I'm not alone in thinking so. Um but in any event, I just wanted to, I want to say, and again, I, I wanted to save some time to open up for questions for you guys, because I know that's, that's usually fun. But what I want to say is not only thank you for having me here, but I wanted to encourage you all to, to keep doing what you do that's so important, which is minding those gates. And the gate, I think you're minding the gates to really what is a, what is an important and a beautiful garden in that garden, are it's made up of children's imaginations. So keep feeding them and nurturing them and don't ever let anybody trample on those imaginations because someday, I think, we, we all stand to, to benefit from them and sort of feast on the fruit of those gardens. So uh, thank you for doing what you all do and um, it means the world to me and, and other authors like me. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, Telling Lies to Children was brought to you by, well, nobody. Just me and my guests. One of the nice things about being completely unknown in the vast world of podcasting is that you don't have to listen to me read 10 minutes' worth of ads at the beginning and end of every episode. But I hope you'll check out my website, pauldurhambooks.com. There you can find out more about the Luck Ugly series, You can book a school visit, you can shop the newly opened Dead Fish Inn gift shop, or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find links to all of my guests' websites and social media there. So until next time, I wish you happy reading, ugly luck, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. that woke you up. See you next time.